All right, everybody, it is Tuesday, August 8th. At some point tonight, someone might be worth an extra $1.55 billion. We'll find out on tomorrow's podcast. In the meantime, you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I think we're ready for an early edition this week of what we're eating. That's right, Moshe. I finally made Alex's famous banana dippers. I did try to make them this past weekend when I said that I was going to, but unfortunately, I went downstairs on Saturday morning and realized I had one and a half bananas, which is not enough mm. to make banana dippers, and I didn't have pancake mix. So the whole thing couldn't possibly oh. have worked. <laughs> Terrible planning there. Terrible planning. The best part of the banana dippers, by the way, is... Uh, they work really well if there's nothing else to do with the bananas. If the bananas have gotten overly ripe and you're about to throw them away. You can utilize them for banana dippers and it makes all the difference because they're super sweet. Well, anyway, I made them for dinner on Monday night. I decided to do breakfast for dinner and they were awesome. a huge Great hit. choice. Everyone in the family, especially my daughter, loved them. As a former pancake house waiter in high school, Jill, a big advocate for breakfast for dinner. I'm also not opposed to cereal and milk for dinner as well, which is a very easy meal. So any parents out there, you have my blessing. Not that you needed it, but um, never feel guilty about it. Okay, let's get to some news here. A lot of headlines. The Ukrainian government says that it has foiled a plot to assassinate President Zelensky. Here in the United States, a referendum in Ohio today that could determine the future of abortion in the state. The latest on that emergency flooding situation up in Alaska. A new investigation into the safety of nursing pillows. The final police officer involved in the George Floyd killing receives his sentence. The latest on the Musk versus Zuckerberg cage fight, like a literal one. The maker of our favorite pasta sauce bought for a couple billion dollars by Campbell. A new study with the latest numbers on Americans tipping less. And Moshe has on this day in history. It's jam-packed, Jill. We got a presidential resignation. We got Nick Lachey, and we got the Spanish Armada. <laughs> All right, let's get to that foiled plot. Ukrainian security officials said yesterday that they arrested a Ukrainian woman who they say was involved in planning an assassination attempt on President Zelensky last month. Now, she is accused of aiding Russia's intelligence services. This is according to Ukraine's state security service, the SBU. In a statement posted to their website, they say she tried to establish the time and list of locations of the approximate route of the head of state. Zelensky has made semi-regular, unannounced visits to formerly occupied territories or areas near the front line, visits that require extreme caution because of the possibility of targeted Russian attacks. He visited the southern Ukrainian regions of Odessa and Mykolaiv at the end of July. That is the area that they say that this plot was involved now, that news came out yesterday, but they say they detained her last Tuesday. They say she's allegedly a former saleswoman in a military store in the territory of one of the military units. Ukrainian security services prevented her from collecting information about Zelensky's visit. And once they learned about her attempts, they foiled the assassination plot. Yeah, so Zelensky has faced several known attempts on his life since Russia first invaded Ukraine last February. Russian special forces were tasked in those first few days of actually eliminating Zelensky at the start of the war in a profile last year, Time Magazine described how Russian troops had parachuted into Kiev to kill or capture Zelensky and his family in those early days 
Uh, he evaded them. Advisors say that since then, he has had more than 12 attempts on his life in just the last 18 months. The announcement here of this arrest comes a day after officials from dozens of countries around the world wrapped up talks in Saudi Arabia discussing a peace plan for Ukraine. Uh, a Ukrainian presidential advisor saying the meeting was, quote, very productive despite varying points of view. Notably, Jill, one party not invited to those talks, Russia, uh, was not there in Saudi Arabia. A minister for Russia saying those talks are doomed to failure. It seems like many neutral parties and uh, Ukrainian allies are trying to get on board with a game plan that they could eventually present to the Russians. All right, now back here in the U.S., a big vote that we're watching today in Ohio that has ramifications for abortion, but also how various states define democracy. Ohio voters today are participating in a special election to decide, quote, state issue number one. It is a ballot measure that will increase the threshold for how many votes it takes to amend the state constitution. And it's getting a lot of attention and money on both sides because it's going to impact a separate vote on whether to enshrine abortion rights into the state constitution. So currently, a ballot initiative in Ohio would need a simple majority to pass. We're talking 50 percent of the vote plus one. If issue one passes, that threshold would be raised to 60 percent of the vote. The proposal also would impose more stringent requirements on how signatures are gathered for ballot initiative campaigns. Campaigns must gather enough signatures to equal 5% of the votes cast for governor from 44 of the 88 counties in the state. Issue number one's passing would mean that campaigns would have to gather that same percentage of signatures from all 88 counties to get a citizen-led initiative on the ballot. If issue one passes, it would take effect immediately, meaning that future ballot initiatives in Ohio, including the one on abortion this fall, would require that 60 percent of the vote to pass instead of just a simple majority. In recent weeks, a ballot measure that would codify abortion rights into Ohio's state constitution was certified to appear on the November general election ballot. Right now, polling shows just about 60 percent of Ohioans want to keep abortion legal in some way. And worried that the initiative will mean that they might not get above that 60% bar. It's kind of like the filibuster in the Senate, which is why nothing could ever get done. Yeah, like the U.S. House is 50%, is just simple majority. The Senate effectively requires 60%, 60 senators to get something done. So advocates for this in Ohio, uh, mainly Ohio Republican lawmakers who support issue one, insist that this is about ensuring that outside parties cannot simply influence uh, policies in the state. Uh, they many of them have insisted this is not about abortion. This is about outside interest groups impacting laws in the state. But in June, the Ohio Secretary of State, a guy by the name of Frank LaRose, a Republican who is running for U.S. Senate, told Republican supporters that issue one is, quote, 100 percent about keeping radical pro-abortion amendment out of our Constitution. Proponents of issue one have also used anti-abortion messaging and imagery to campaign for the ballot measure. Pro-life groups are major supporters of this. They fear that a simple majority of Ohioans could make abortion legal, could keep abortion legal in the state, uh, despite the uh, overwhelming majority that Republicans have in the state legislature. Now, Democrats have argued here that issue one is an attempt by Republicans to quash voter efforts to enshrine abortion rights. They say, listen, they're being dishonest. This is about abortion. There's also a nonpartisan coalition, one person, one vote, which has been campaigning to reject the ballot measure. They've called issue one misleading, accused its backers of trying to ram through the issue in this special election. They say that if this amendment passes, it'll apply to every single amendment on any issue Ohio will ever vote on, and it effectively will give 
40% of Ohioans veto power. And notably, Jill, you also mentioned that that amendment that requires all 88 counties, a certain percentage of 88 counties to sign on, meaning literally one county could block a measure that the other 87 counties in Ohio want to vote on. So this is where things stand. Uh, People are watching it very closely, uh, looking at this nationally, by the way, about half the states in the country allow citizen-led ballot initiatives. Uh, Vast majority of them are simple majority, though there are a couple states, Florida and Colorado notably, where they do require above a 50% threshold as well. All right, we have a lot more to get to in the podcast, but first we want to note that this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I'm really pumped to have them on board given how much we talk about the importance of mental health on this podcast. Getting over that threshold to talk to a therapist can be tough for many people. I know it was for me, depending on how you grew up and the view of therapy within your community, within your family, but talking to someone really helps. I know it helped me get through some major blocks, get some clarity on things happening in my life, how to process them, how to move forward. And so we're very glad to have BetterHelp as a sponsor here at Mo News. And they have a deal right now for the Mo News community. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a questionnaire and then you're immediately attached to a licensed therapist. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash mosh, M-O-S-H, to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash mosh, M-O-S-H. And now to another sponsor that we love here on the Mo News Podcast. Bowl and Branch has made the summer of record heat a bit easier with some really soft and breathable sheets. We first got them in our house a bit earlier this year and have absolutely been loving them. Bowl and Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch sheets. They are made with organic cotton and without those harsh chemicals that are used by a lot of other brands. And the sheets actually get softer with every wash. Jill, I can attest to that. Alex and I have been loving ours uh, now going on almost a year. We just got another set and looking to expand uh, Bowl and Branch's reach to our nursery as well. Right now, they are offering a special deal to the Mo News community. You can get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code Mo News at bowlandbranch.com. So that is bowlandbranch, B O L L A N D branch.com. Promo code Mo News, M O N E W S. Exclusions do apply. So see the site for details. Time now for the speed read. Let's start in Alaska. Mosh, you posted some really scary video of this story yesterday from the Wall Street Journal. Officials in Juneau, Alaska, have issued an emergency declaration after record-breaking river floodwaters swept through the area, destroying at least two homes and threatening others. Floodwaters are now receding in the capital city, but officials said the Mendel Hall riverbanks remain unstable and urged the public to stay away from the river. Juno officials said Sunday that they started to assess structures that were damaged by flooding and would be contacting residents of buildings that are just not safe to occupy anymore. State authorities say that although river levels continue to fall, at least two structures have been lost to the river. Others are at risk and have been evacuated. The flood started when water from what's called the Suicide Basin, which sits next to the Mendenhall Glacier above Juneau, flowed into a nearby lake and river. According to the National Weather Service, Mendenhall Lake crested Saturday night at nearly 15 feet, which is three feet higher than the previous record. So Suicide Basin, pretty ominous name, has been releasing outbursts of glacial waters into Mendenhall River and Lake for just over 10 years now, Jill, causing some flooding. But it does come as the 3,000-year-old glacier is melting at a record pace. 
it is a major tourist attraction up there. They've actually had to limit the number of people who can go see it. Uh, and actually, unfortunately, now you can see signs where the glacier used to reach uh, as it continues to recede with warming temperatures. Uh, their fear is that uh, in the coming years, it might not even be visible anymore from the visitor center. Back to the floodwaters, though, Jill, the video we posted was a six-hour time lapse, and it just shows you the power of the water, how it just eroded gradually entire backyards and then took a couple homes with them. Scientists have said that although no weather event can be attributed solely to mankind's influence, solely to climate change, the frequency of these extreme weather events is increasing because of climate change. The weather authorities up there are saying that uh, this uh, type of situation had a 1% chance of happening, and yet it did, and it comes to cities around the world are having to adjust to this new normal caused by extreme weather. From NBC News, an investigation by the network has found that at least 162 babies under one year old have died in incidents involving nursing pillows, and that's since 2007. This is all according to a first-of-its-kind analysis based on hundreds of public records as well as internal federal data. Some of the babies slump down on the pillows or arched backward off of them, constricting their airways. Others turn their faces into the plush surface, suffocating as their parents slept just a few feet away. In some cases, the cause of death wasn't clear, but the babies were found on or with nursing pillows, sometimes while co-sleeping with parents or alongside soft bedding that also poses a suffocation risk. At least three incidents involved mothers who fell asleep while feeding their baby with a nursing pillow and awoke to find that they couldn't rouse their child. Nursing pillows have become a must-have item for many new parents, with about 1.4 million of them sold per year here in the United States. In case you're not familiar, these are basically horseshoe-shaped cushions. They come in a variety of colorful prints, and they're marketed as essential for the early months of life when babies need to be fed frequently. So, Joe, the manufacturers of these pillows are defending them, saying they're safe if they're used as intended to help caregivers cradle their babies while breastfeeding or bottle feeding them. But infants left unsupervised on the cushions or allowed to sleep with them against the product's warning labels can stop breathing within minutes. This is similar, Jill, to the Boppy story we did recently, uh, where in most cases, if you're using them as their design, you're fine. But if you're allowing the infants to sleep on them, that's where you could run into trouble. The vast majority of the babies in this NBC investigation who died were less than four months old. The youngest was just three days old. Back in 2020, the Consumer Product Safety Commission warned consumers that nursing pillows and other similar products are not designed for sleep and are not safe for sleep. The commission now is preparing to take further steps uh, towards making rules uh, to make these nursing pillows safer. A proposal is expected in the coming weeks here. Jill, we should note again that this was specifically an NBC News investigation, and there are some caveats in their reporting because they were trying their best to get a sense of these things through various records. Uh, they don't even think that these numbers are comprehensive. And there were a couple cases where uh, like a child died of pneumonia but happened to be lying on one of these um, cushions. And so they don't want to draw causation to all of them, but they put out this investigation just because they feel this is something they want to make parents aware of. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting that it's an NBC News investigation and that it's not coming from the government. I mean, these are 
innocent babies. And this is 162 lives that were lost. It's such a tragedy. And you've just got to think, you know, what is the government doing? And and why are these numbers so hard to come by? Well, it sounds like the Consumer Product Safety Commission will be doing something further here, uh, making new rules. So we'll be on the lookout for that. From Reuters, a final sentencing for the last former Minneapolis police officer involved in the 2020 killing of motorist George Floyd. Tu Tao was sentenced on Monday to four and three quarters years in prison for aiding and abetting manslaughter in the killing of Floyd, who was pinned to the ground by another officer's knee during a botched arrest. Tao, a nine-year veteran of the police force, was the fourth and final officer sentenced in the killing. He said in court that he didn't commit any crime and will not be, quote, a Judas in self-preservation. The judge said that he was hoping for some remorse from the officer as he read his sentence. Again, Tao stood by as Officer Derek Chauvin knelt on Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes while Floyd pleaded for his life. Yeah, apparently the officer there, while he's been sitting in jail for the last year, jail has gotten very into religion, hence the Judas reference there. Uh, at the same time, he's now the last of the four officers to receive his sentence. Chauvin, who you mentioned, was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison, though he is trying to appeal to the Supreme Court here. Unlikely he will get it. The two other officers involved here each got three and three and a half years, respectively, uh, in prison after pleading guilty. Now, that's something that Tao refused to do, uh, hence why he got actually uh, a more significant sentence than those other two officers. From Insider.com, the latest on the potential cage fight between two of the world's richest men. And Mosh, we are talking (laughs) about a literal fight here. This isn't like, you know, a war of words. <laughs> we often talk about metaphorical fights between these companies, between these individuals. No, we're talking about like <laughs> pulling out your fists here, apparently. I'm laughing because it's so insane. Okay, so we're talking the world's richest man, Elon Musk, set Monday to get an MRI to check out his neck and back ahead of a potential fight with Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Musk writing on Sunday night on X, the, the former Twitter Exact date is still in flux. I'm getting an MRI of my neck and upper back tomorrow. This was responding to a tweet about Zuckerberg waiting for his confirmation to set a date for fight night. Musk continued, it may require surgery before the fight can happen. We'll know this week. The two men have been talking about a fight for a couple of months now, and Musk has recently called for it to be live streamed on his X platform, formerly known as Twitter, The billionaire added that the fight's proceeds would go, quote, to charity for veterans. Competition between the two CEOs has intensified after Facebook parent Meta released a rival social network, Threads, that directly competes with Musk's ex. Zuckerberg posted Sunday on Threads and suggested August 26 for the match and that he is still awaiting confirmation. He said, I am ready today, not holding my breath. Zuckerberg also suggested that they shouldn't live stream it on X, given its instability. So, you know, a, a war of words there uh, ahead of the actual fight here. Uh, Musk, injuries aside, Jill, has been training for his fight with Zuckerberg in July. Uh, he was training with a UFC fighter uh, out in Canada who said he had a great training session. He's also been uh, training with Lex Friedman, a podcaster who's involved in fighting, another martial artist called John Danaher. Uh, Musk, by the way, 5'11", 178, at least that's the listed height and weight. Zuckerberg, 5'7", 154, much smaller. But Zuckerberg been training for several years in the Brazilian martial art of jiu-jitsu. Uh, he started to do that during the pandemic. 
recently made his competition debut, uh, been releasing photos with his shirt off, uh, noted that he got an octagon in his backyard. On Friday, Musk uh, did a live stream where he was lifting weights, saying he was getting ready. So this got started because I guess Musk saw photos of Zuckerberg. He was annoyed about threads uh, competing with Twitter, now X, uh, and said, I'm going to fight you. And Zuckerberg's like, game on. And this somehow became real. Jill, the direct messages I'm getting from the Mo News Committee on this one, people are just in shock about the entire thing. They don't get it. Uh, and I should say, most women completely don't understand this. I would say many men also don't understand this. You know, Musk worth more than $200 billion. Uh, Zuckerberg worth more than $100 billion. Major CEOs, like, what are they even doing? Mosh, my bigger question is, do neither of these guys have anyone around them who, who's like a trusted person who could say, what are you doing? Do not do this. You look stupid. You, th- this is making you look terrible. You're a billionaire. You're both. You're running two of the biggest companies in the world. You have thousands of employees. I, none of this makes sense. And I don't know how, at the very least, Zuckerberg's wife isn't saying, please yeah. don't do this. You're a dad. I, and Musk is as well. I mean, the whole thing feels so juvenile and, and just so wrong. <laughs> Jill, having seen the Barbie movie, we were making uh, oh, yeah. comparisons on the Instagram account to the Ken fight. Um, and honestly, it sort of bears resemblance there. I think some of the messages of Barbie uh, even uh, resonate more given all of this. I, I think you're right about the Priscilla influence. Why is she letting Mark do this? I think it's, he genuinely thinks that he can beat Musk because of the amount of training he has, whereas Musk is coming into this just with sheer bravado. Uh, yes. And we now know for a while now Musk has no one around him who can say no. But I guess when you have that amount of money and there are zero consequences, I mean, uh, unless something really, uh, you know, unanticipated happens uh, medically to one of them during this fight, Jill, I think this is what happens when you're just worth unlimited sums of money and there are no consequences. One name that's coming up here who happens to also have been starting to work out in a real way in recent years, Jeff Bezos, another multi, multi, multi billionaire. When is he is he is he waiting in the in the wings here for the winner? Because he also has been, uh, you know, showing photos with his shirt off recently. And it appears that, you know, he's been working out as well. But you know what? He is just living his best life. He's got his fiance. They're on their yacht. I feel like he is not involved. <laughs> I feel like he is not involved in this petty stuff. No, no. He's got bigger things. He wants to buy sports teams. He's in fights with Trump once in a while. Uh, you know, he's trying to take out Walmart. But you know what, Jill? It's still early here. And by the way, there's also some bizarre things going on over there. He had the the yacht that he put together with like a mermaid statue of a fiance. Did you catch that story a couple months ago? I'm not condoning his behavior, but the bar here is obviously so low. I mean, we're basically saying just don't try to cage fight another billionaire. That's it. <laughs> and, and then you come out <laughs> looking great. <laughs> Jill, I will say this. It might be the highest rated event of all time. It might surpass the Super Bowl if this thing actually happens. My money is on Zuckerberg. You heard it here first, folks. From the Wall Street Journal, major news in the pasta sauce world. And I know most for both of our kitchen cupboards, Campbell Soup has agreed to acquire Sovos Brands, which is the parent company of food brands like Rayos Pasta and Nusa Yogurt. This deal is valued at about $2.7 billion. Campbell said the acquisition adds a market-leading portfolio of brands to its meals and beverages division. The Rayos line of sauces, Sovos's flagship brand, saw organic sales grow by more than a third in the fiscal year of 2022. 
Campbell, which also makes the more down-market Prego brand of pasta sauces, stressed that it sees the two as a separate business serving different customers. Rayos sauces sell for about 8 bucks a jar compared with less than $3 for Prego. The Campbell CEO saying, we are not going to mess around much with that great sauce. Campbell can still help Rayos grow by bringing its expertise and resources to bear on distribution, marketing, and retailing. It could also save costs by pooling corporate resources as well as jointly procuring certain ingredients and things like glass jars. Uh, This is according to Campbell. A number of people in our community, Jill, taking note from the Campbell CEO saying, we're not going to mess around much with the great sauce, worried, why are you messing with it at all, Campbell Soups? <laughs> right. uh, that said, they clearly see a uh, huge advantage here in this acquisition. Uh, and by the way, if they spent nearly $3 billion, you can imagine they probably shouldn't mess with it too much given the value they see here. So business analysts are looking at this and saying that this acquisition reminds them of Campbell's recent successful acquisition of premium brands like Kettle and Cape Cod Chips, which uh, they added to the Campbell's Pepperidge Farm snack business, helping those brands scale up, reach a bigger market nationwide. Sovos, uh, in addition to Rayos, also has the Michelangelo's brand of frozen Italian meals. Uh, That could be an advantage to Campbell's here, which has the existing Pepperidge Farm frozen line, which consists mainly of cakes and pastries. So this will help Campbell's soups uh, compete with ConAgra, uh, Nestle. A scale is big when it comes to frozen foods. A little background on Rayos. It's originally based on an Italian restaurant in New York that opened first in 1896. In the 1990s, they entered the retail market with their brands. And so the sauces started to grow. That's when Sovos came in in 2017, purchased it, and they've seen massive growth. Right now, Rayos is available in about 80% of U.S. markets. Now it's been sold to Campbell, uh, and we'll see what Campbell does with it. But again, a lot of fears you know, from people saying, please don't mess with the ingredients. There's a reason we love Rayos, and there's a reason we appreciate the, the health value of Rayos compared to some of the other sauces out there that have more modified ingredients in them. I feel this one so personally. And the reason is because, as I've talked about on this podcast, my daughter used to have a ton of food allergies. And so I was meticulous with reading every single label. And you wouldn't believe how many labels just say things like natural ingredients or spices and do not tell you what's in them. And some of my daughter's allergies were not ones that had to be labeled. And so I found such comfort in Rayos because it was just... Real ingredients. It was it was simple. It was all listed on the on the label. Um, so I really hope that they do not change that. R- really, we we consumers appreciate it. All right, Campbell Soups, are you listening to Jill <laughs> and listening to everybody else? You've been warned. And finally, the latest article on one of our favorite podcast topics: tipping. This from Axios. Requests for tips are becoming more common. Tips themselves are getting larger, and consumers from coast to coast are straight up confused about the new rules. The onslaught of tipping requests is fatiguing consumers and pushing them to close their wallets, even in scenarios where tips are a critical part of workers' wages. A new bank rate survey finds that 66% of Americans have a negative view of tipping. 65% now say they always tip servers. That is down from 73% last year and 77% in 2019. So what is happening? While the pandemic ushered in this new culture of tipping and new point-of-sale technologies are making it easier for businesses to add gratuity options in new places, during lockdowns, Americans did tip more often and gave more to restaurant workers, delivery drivers, and other essential workers to help support them. The requests for tips has continued, though, as the world opened back up. 
And it comes as those new technologies have made it easier to request tips. So we're just getting prompted to tip more often. And my favorite example of this is, uh, you know, you go to a Starbucks or you go to a coffee shop, you just buy a bottle of water or something, and it asks you for a tip. And obviously, that's just the kind of like the boilerplate thing that shows up. But you feel weird being like, no tip. But it's also, why do you need a tip? The person didn't do anything. Jill, it gets even better if you go to some of those kiosks in the airport where there's self-checkout and no human beings. There's also a tip request there, like you're tipping the computer. I mean, obviously, it would go to the people who uh, like walk around the store or work around the store. But that's where we've gotten to here. And uh, the story notes that this is having a real world effect on the people who actually depend on tips, right? The servers, the hairdressers, etc. Um, and so as you've noticed, sandwich joints, coffee shops, they're all requesting it, they're turning that iPad around. And, you know, in the first screen, uh, sometimes already comes with a suggested tip, uh, vendors offering pricey services, who might not typically request tips are also now expecting a tip. Uh, the Axios story notes wedding photographers, HVAC technicians, uh, people who you negotiate a rate with also asking for a tip as the software has become easier. And so there's been a shift here in the way business is being done and it's confusing folks and it's leading to this overall tip fatigue. Uh, and this comes, Jill, as worker wages across many industries have not caught up with the cost of living, with inflation. So that's also driving what they call tipflation. Effectively, here, the shops, the store owners, the restaurants are expecting the customer, you, the customer, to pick up the difference in wages where the wages didn't go up with inflation. So the other thing that I read recently is that 25% is now standard tip. I always thought 20% is what you tip, just kind of... Tipflation. Tipflation, Jill. That was my thing. Like I go to a restaurant, I just tip 20%. So now they have the suggested tips where sometimes the first one is 18, right? 18, 20, 25, or 18, 20, 22. But in some cases, the lowest one is 20 and it goes like 20, 22, 25. I've definitely been noticing that as well. All right, let's start to bring it down here to simmer. Uh, on this day in history is up next here. And as we give you your healthy daily digest of a bit of history here, uh, this week on this day is sponsored by Athletic Greens, which is your daily go-to for all your nutrients. One way to get many of them is through Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's easy, it's quick. It lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, pre and probiotics. They're offering a special deal for the Mo News community. And I'll get into that in just a second here after we go through on this day in history. We're gonna begin, Jill. In the 16th century, the year was 1588, the Spanish Armada on this day in history was defeated. It was an enormous 130-ship naval fleet dispatched by Spain to England. They want to invade and take over England, make it Catholic again. Though Queen Elizabeth I uh, would secure Protestant rule and the future of the English crown, uh, essentially, Jill, this dictated the future of the New World. Uh, it dictated a lot of futures, the English uh, defeating the Spanish on this day. All right, we're going to fast forward to the 1800s on this day in history. The Wilmot Proviso, many of you may not know about this, but it was supremely important. It was a congressional amendment to prohibit the extension of slavery into the new territories the U.S. was acquiring, like Texas. The Wilmot Proviso was proposed on this day. It failed. But out of that, it became a central tenet for a new political party called the Republican Party. It would launch uh, with the agenda that slavery should not be expanded. The Republican Party would uh, start out and would finally have their first presidential winner just over a decade later with a guy by the name of Abe Lincoln. All right, staying with presidential news here on this day in 1974. This is what Americans heard 
on their television sets. To continue to fight through the months ahead for my personal vindication would almost totally absorb the time and attention of both the President and the Congress in a period when our entire focus should be on the great issues of peace abroad and prosperity without inflation at home. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. That was President Nixon on this day, on this August 8th, Jill resigning from the presidency succeeded by Gerald Ford the following day. Such a different time. And most we've talked about this on the podcast before, but there was a time when being impeached was really serious. It was basically the worst thing that could happen if you were president. Um, And now, of course, Trump was impeached twice. I mean, he wasn't convicted, but he was impeached twice. There is talks about impeaching Joe Biden. Uh, So it's just something that's thrown around much more loosely now. Yeah, Nixon was facing the prospect of impeachment conviction there. But it is remarkable to hear a politician, you know, even Nixon there, uh, you know, who obviously had uh, many problems and was involved in in various illegal things, uh, talking about, you know, instead of defending himself, he knows that was going to be destruction for the country. And so he's willing to put the country ahead of himself. And that even meant resignation. So fascinating, especially as we see our politics unfold the way they do today. Uh, Jill, a couple more notes here. Music history. On this day in 1969, the cover of the Beatles album, Abbey Road, was photographed outside EMI Recording Studios in London, that iconic photo of them crossing the street. And it's been replicated ever since. Yeah, if you ever visit that part of London, uh, you can't go a minute without somebody trying to uh, replicate that photo (laughs) on Abbey Road. And finally, Jill, while we talk about classic boy bands... Uh, big dated 90s boy band history today. All right, some of you might recognize that tune. That is 98 Degrees. On this day in history in 1976, J.C. Chasse of NSYNC and Drew Lachey of 98 Degrees were born today, 1976. They both turned 47 today. So a happy birthday to Drew and J.C. Jill, since NSYNC gets so much love, I figured I would drop a 98 Degrees song for everybody here. (laughs) I like where your head's at, Moshe. Drew, by the way, is the brother of Nick Lachey. Yes, the younger brother, if you can believe it. Nick Lachey turns 50 years old this November. Uh, You might know him uh, and his wife, Vanessa, as uh, now the hosts of Love is Blind over on Netflix. All right, as we conclude on this day in history, a reminder that it was brought to you by AG1 today. They have a special deal right now for the Mo News community. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs visit drinkag1.com slash mo news that is drinkag the number one dot com slash mo news to take advantage of the offer and really start to take ownership of your health all right we want to thank you for listening to the mo news podcast if you like what you hear please share this with your friends tell them about us we would really appreciate it it helps us grow Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and give us a review in the App Store. Uh, Again, all that really helps us. We're also going to get a discussion of tipping, Rayo's pasta sauce, the Spanish Armada, 98 degrees, and a little bit of an update from Ukraine. Name it. (laughs) I dare you. We've got range. All right, Jill, I'll see you and everybody else tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.